Hello. Welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast, where we discuss mindful movement through dance and through life. Hello. First of all, I just wanted to say that this will be the last episode of this podcast for a while. I just need to take some time and reevaluate where this podcast is going and where my life is going. So I definitely want to bring it back for sure. But just wanted to start out with that. Now, talking about our guest, Victoria is so amazing. I met her during my time um, with Voyage and she's just honestly always lit up the room every single time she was in it and so empowering so feminine but also so her more than just you know being feminine and this conversation really happened at a time where i was really going through it and it was just really helpful to be able to converse with someone in that sort of vulnerable state we talk a lot about vulnerability, about holding space, about creating safe spaces for women. And yeah, it was a really good time and I really appreciate this conversation. Victoria Castreje is a dancer, personal trainer, and wellness enthusiast with 10 years of dance experience and six years in the Southern California dance community. She spent her college years at UC Riverside studying business administration and dancing with 909 Dance Trope serving her last year as co-director during the pandemic. Since graduating in 2020, Victoria has trained with Voyage under the direction of Halima Dodo and Sora Yang, and has participated in various training programs with groups like Offset Med, Movement Society, and IllyGirl.co. With her values embedded in woman empowerment, self-improvement, human rights, and healthy living, Victoria continues to educate herself in various realms in an attempt to empower others and to help them reach their full potential. As always, thank you so much for listening, and let's get right into this conversation. Hello, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast. This is your host, Justine Wang, and I'm joined today by the beautiful, amazing Victoria Castreje. Hello. Hello. Um, can you please introduce yourself? Let's start there. Let's just start small. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Victoria Castreje. You can call me VC if you'd like. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm from Southern California, and I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So thanks so much for having me, Justine. No, really. Thank you for being on it. Let's start with, tell us about your story and your dance background. Sure. So funny story is that my mom put me in ballet when I was like two or three years old. And at my very first dance recital, I went on stage and I just started crying. So my mom thought that I was never going to dance again. She said performing is out of the question. And then from there, I just did a lot of sports. So I played basketball. I played softball. I did a lot of volleyball. And I think that cheerleading was actually my first step into the movement choreography scene again. So I did that for a few years. And then once I got to high school, I joined my high school's dance department which was more studio-based. So we did a lot of technique, lots of turns, jumps, still a lot of choreography. And then when I graduated, I went to UC Riverside and I joined 909 in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I was there for four years. I graduated in 2020. So I was director during the pandemic. So from 2019 to 2020. 
And then I'm still part of 909. I'm just an advisor, so a little bit more removed. And currently, I, I was training with Voyage for a little bit under Halima Dodo and Sora Yang. Yes. And then, yes, love Voyage. Yes, Shout love Voyage. them. <laughs> and then um, I started training with Illy Girl. They did a three-month training program in Los Angeles, which was a little bit more industry-based. And I just love being in an all-women setting. So I'm currently training with Sora in her Super 10 group for the month of November, in which this podcast is being filmed and I'm having a great time. So I've just been training since then. Love to hear it. Love to hear that you were, you know, you stuck around 909 for, you still are. Yeah. It's my sixth season. That is wild. (laughs) Um, So many questions. Um, I think something that is a theme in your dance journey, at least within this year and within the year that I got to know you um, is definitely this, you know, um, the importance of creating a safe space for women. So, I mean, we all know why it's important, but let's start with like why it's important to you. Sure. So I think that inherently I've always been the type to just cheer for all of my girlfriends, even if they weren't my girlfriends, just, you know, cheer for every single woman on her own path because it's rough out here, like white supremacy and toxic masculinity and all the things that women have to go through is tough. And I don't know, I feel like at a young age, I just recognized that, but it really started to shift and take on a different role when I became director of 909. And I started witnessing more sexual violence in our specific community. So a content warning for anybody listening. Um, But during my year, since I was in leadership, a lot of girls would come to me about specific instances that they had. And I immediately kind of went into mom mode and was very much like, are you okay? What can I do? And I most definitely didn't approach it perfectly. I did my best. Um, I'm not a professional in cases like this. And so I just did my best to listen and support anyone that came forward and also take action on top of that, like hold the people that are accused accountable really take a look at all the different parts and see what I could offer as a leader. And so that really shaped my values since those moments. Like, I I think I knew it inherently, but those moments really just ingrained it in me. Like, we can't just be sitting around and watching this stuff happen. We have to be vocal. We have to demonstrate active support. We need to be able to let our people know that they can feel safe and just lay out, you know, lay out all the rules. And so I think that now it's part of my value system in a more embedded and concrete way, but it definitely didn't come that way easily. I had to learn a lot through that. So, mm-hmm. um, let's break down everything you just said. Um, so when those women, you know, came to you, how was it that you offered support for them? Like, what did that look like? you know, for these people? The first thing I did was just sit and listen. I listened and I believed them because honestly, I can't imagine how people don't believe women when they come forward about these stories. Like it really just doesn't make sense to me. So I did my best to just sit and listen, ask them how they're doing, make sure that they're okay. And then at that point, I tried to say like, okay, well, I am a woman in leadership. Like, what can I do to support you? 
And I think that in hindsight, you know, maybe asking those questions might not have been the best thing because in those moments, sometimes those people don't know what they need. And so I just kind of did my best with the information that I had. And I'm so grateful that during those times, my cabinet was super supportive and everyone was there just kind of rallying up to take care of the situation. And from there, we just kind of did our best to write policies, remove certain people from certain groups and just kind of move forward, make statements, do honestly do whatever we could, like just to make sure that the survivors were taken care of. So Mm -hmm. it was a, again, a really great learning experience and not to glorify anything that these survivors went through, but again, like it, it really, it really, really, really stuck with me. So, yeah. Um, what kind of, cause you know, I feel like these are things that we talked about last year about like sexual assault and like, uh, racial justice, all of the other stuff that comes with it. But, um, I guess like I haven't gotten to see like a lot of, um, policy changes or at least like publicly. So like, I'm, I'm just curious, like what kind of new policies did you implement, um, in order to, provide safer spaces for women yeah absolutely so first of all there is an entire 909 has a constitution and so we have a constitution because we are attached to a university and it outlines things like attendance policies or you know what you do if you need to take a break for academic probation but nothing about discrimination nothing about sexual violence and so essentially what we did was we outlined the steps to go through. If someone, not even on 909, if someone outside of the team comes forward and says that someone on 909 or someone that was an alumni was involved in a sexual violence case, then, you know, that person, the protocol is that person is immediately put on some kind of probation period and they're removed from, you know, practices or group chats or anything just to make that survivor feel safe. And then from there, you know, we work with the survivor to see what kind of actions they'd like to see happen because not all cases have to be like, you know, immediately excommunicated and removed and all of that. Some people, they, they do want to have a say and be like, okay, how about a temporary removal or they can never hold a leadership position. And from there, we have an entire document that outlines the cases that have been brought to our attention, how they were handled, the date, who handled them, like, you know, the message that was sent to them, the warning that they received, or if they were like if their alumniship was revoked, now we have an entire outline of what it takes to be an alumni and what could potentially like strip your status as an alumni. So we really did, and especially during like the pressure of the pandemic, we really did just sit down and lay it all out. Like what could potentially happen, what did happen and how can we not prevent this from ever happening again, but make it so that each cabinet that comes after us can handle it a little bit better. And I think that all of 2020 just changed the criteria of what it takes to be a leader, especially in the dance community now. Like the criteria is so different. The standards are so different now. And I do think that that has contributed to how some teams operate now or how slowly teams operate now, because they know that there is like a a lens on them and it's a different lens. And it's good that we continue to hold those leaders accountable. So we did a lot to answer your question, but I'm always yeah. open to more suggestions. <laughs> no, that's pretty wild because um, I used to be part of a collegiate team and nothing like that. We didn't have any of that. <laughs> no documentation, no like, um, no advisory board that like, you know, is here like, okay, we're alumni and we're here to help. 
um, type of vibe. So hearing that, you know, 909 does have these things kind of like restores my faith in the collegiate dance community. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a tough battle. And I think that, you know, leaders should definitely feel more comfortable reaching out to other leaders and talking about it. And even if you're not attached to a university, having some kind of written document that demonstrates what your values are, if you have an ethics clause, a mission statement, like literally anything that you can think of that defines you as a team, for me personally, as a dancer would make me feel safer and more supported, you know, like as I was reading the constitution to this entire new generation of 909 newbies, I told them this isn't to scare you. If anything, this is to protect you. It's to make, it's to hopefully make you feel safer and to say, if you see something, please say something because now we have protocols and you can see how we respond to these things. So, and it's not, and it's not okay. You know, dance is a beautiful thing and everyone should feel safe when they dance. And so again, I feel like the criteria to be a leader nowadays has definitely changed. Mm -hmm. Let's, um, let's dive into that a little bit. Let's do it. How has it changed? <laughs> hmm. it, it almost feels as if each leader goes through a background check, almost like mentally or emotionally, like some people, or at least for me personally, when I see people in power, I start to question if they have had anything happen or if they have exhibited even like the slightest inkling of questionable action, um, which is partially why I've been straying from being part of a team. Like I, I just kind of have dance community trust issues at the moment. Um, but also having leaders that are not just great dance, having people in leadership that are not just great dancers, but are also great leaders. Cause they're most definitely not the same. You know, you might have someone that is an absolutely wonderful dancer, great teacher, great person. But when you approach them with something very serious, they shut down or they hand it off to someone else and it never gets done. And so I think that at least right now, leaders definitely need to be able to handle different crises and be able to avoid those entirely. Like, are you letting people, you know, share, share their pronouns? Are you still dividing your pieces by men and women, you know, like those entire binary concepts, like all of those little things really start to add up and contribute to how a dancer can feel safe in an environment. It's not just about looking good on stage anymore. Right. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I think something that you mentioned is that, like, leaders tend to, like, have a hard time asking for help. Because right now, you know, I'm in like a slightly kind of ish leader moment um, or even as like a teacher. Right. And so I find that it's a lot harder for me to ask for help for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel like a lot of leaders have like shame almost in asking for help. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, how do we work past that? Yes, absolutely. Learning how to ask for help was also one of the greatest lessons that I learned while directing 909 during that season. Seriously, like I always thought, you know, if I just do everything going a million miles per hour and make it look easy, everyone's going to respect me. Everybody's going to love me. 
everyone's going to want to do my dance. I don't know. Um, and, it, and it wasn't until I was at those breaking points, like dealing with the pandemic, dealing with all of the social justice issues, dealing with the sexual violence cases on our team, where I was like, I can't, I, I can't do this by myself. There's absolutely no way I can do this by myself. And it wasn't until my cabinet really was like, we're here to help you. And you don't have to break and crash and burn before you can ask for help. And it was most definitely my pride getting in the way. It was most definitely me being like, especially as a woman, I want to make it look easy. I want to be everybody's mom, but also everybody's director. But I never made time to be Victoria. And that was really difficult. And I had to burn out and have my wonderful team pick me back up to realize it, it's okay to ask for help. And there are definitely moments now where I'm like, all right, this is starting to feel overwhelming. What I ask myself, honestly, what can I handle right now in this moment? Have I eaten? Have I slept? Those are two important check boxes to also check. And then once I start to see what's really in front of me, I, I think that at that point I feel more comfortable delegating, but also checking in to see with my other teammates or my other cabinet members if they have the capacity to help me out. You know, like it's not just saying, hey, I need your help. I'm going to dump this all onto you. It's like, hey, I need your help. How are you doing? Do you think that this is something that you could help me with? Maybe we can split this job. You know, it, it shouldn't just be so polarized of like, I need help. It's yours now. It's I need help. Maybe we can do this together. Right. Yeah, I think um, there's also that piece, right? Like, I'm going to ask you for help. And if you don't help me, you're a shitty person. <laughs> you know, I think it, it gets to that point where it's like, okay, then like, I don't like, I don't want to ask for help because like, I don't want to be like, like, my mindset is like, I don't want to be burdening people. But it's like, mm -hmm. I just forget that like, people have the capacity to tell you like, whether or not they do. Or in a in a in a perfect world, everybody knows how to communicate. So you tell them, hey, I need help. And they're like, you know what? Right now, I don't have the capability to help you. Right. But then mm -hmm. in the world that we live in, um, sometimes people feel like they have to help. You know, even if they don't have the energy for it. I'm saying that as like someone who does that kind of stuff. <laughs> um but, you know, like asking for help and then also trusting someone to help, I think, is like the nuance in leadership right now. Um, yeah. And it's like it just comes with so much like shame to ask um, or mm -hmm. rather like it takes a lot of vulnerability to ask. Right. Which yeah. is why if someone says, oh, no, like I'm busy, you're like, oh, no, like I just put myself out there like now they have kind of vibe um i don't know that's just like something i've been thinking about recently um and yeah i i just i don't know i don't know what to do <laughs> yeah absolutely like thank you so much for sharing that because i do think that that is super common um Justine, I think you're a wonderful person and I know that you are willing to help whenever whenever you can and i i try to remind myself how good I feel when I help someone else. And I just have hope and faith that another person is hoping to also hop on that, you know, kind of return the favor, not that it's transactional, but just also have the opportunity to help out in their own way, because there are a lot of people that do want to help. But again, if you make it, if you if you make it look so easy doing all of your tasks, sometimes people don't think you need help. 
And that's another thing that I've also experienced is that sometimes my friends don't check on me because they always think I have it all put together. And so it really means a lot to me when my friends reach out and say, I was just thinking about you. How are you doing? And in reality, I'm like, I just cried in my car. Like, I'm so sad. I'm stressed. Like, so it, it really, like, I personally like to have hope that other people are willing to help out. But yeah, it takes a lot to put yourself out there. Like, as a leader, you almost feel like it damages your reputation in a sense so that you become less reliable if you can't do everything that's on your plate. But we're human at the end of the day. Please strip all the labels, like, at the end of the day, we're human and we're all just trying to figure it out. So please just help help your leaders out where they can and vice versa. Help your dancers out, your friends, your, your homies out wherever you can. Yeah, everything, everything you just said, like everything you just said. Um, yeah, I think I, I do also forget that like people tend to be more altruistic and like want to be helpful than we make everybody seem like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know like there is that that kind of like I feel good when I help someone um feeling that I like forget that other people have <laughs> yeah it's it's tough it starts to feel like a fishbowl sometimes but you know you just gotta reach out if you would like to connect with Victoria you can find her on YouTube and Instagram at Victoria Castreje that is V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A c-a-s-t-r-e-j-e and you can contact her at her personal website at www.victoriacastreje.com if you would like to find out more about me you can find me at justine.wang underscore or at mind.in.movement on instagram yeah i don't know that's just been like on my mind a lot because it's just like um i also think that like sometimes it's hard right because um there is a lot of like I mean personally I think there's a lot of like public criticism if you do make a mistake as a leader um Mm -hmm. and like while I think that the criticism is like valid I do think it could be very like discouraging you know like oh if I make a mistake like I'm gonna be publicly shamed on social media and like blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um I don't know like is that something that you've ever worried about or hmm I think in a similar vein, I don't know if all leaders feel this way, but I do think that there is almost like a perfectionist tendency that we have a tendency to have. It's like, I want, again, I want to be the most perfect, the most awesome, credible leader. And as soon as you mess up, you got to remind yourself that at the end of the day, you are so human. Like it, it's just going to happen. And I, it sounds really cliche, but a lot of your character shines through when you deal with the situation after you make a mistake. That's a true testament of your character. You know, it's like, hey, I messed up. Either I need to apologize to that person or apologize to my team or, you know, honestly, just just being honest and being like, hey, yeah, I really dropped the ball on this one. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for being patient with me throughout this throughout this time or on a more serious level. Like, thank you for holding me accountable and thank you for, walking me through this, you know, I want to, I want to improve. I want to be open to feedback. I feel like other leaders have a hard time receiving feedback. I definitely had a hard time with it too. I was very much, especially when it came to set building, I was like, this is the right way, but there is no right way. There are so many greater opportunities to collaborate than there is for you to just 
stick to your ways. There's no wiggle room for like space or magic or collaboration or anything like that. So to answer your question, I feel like perfectionism is definitely an inhibitor of taking accountability and growing. And honestly, if I saw a leader make a mistake and then they apologize and became better from it, I would admire them way more than if they were to just say, I didn't make a mistake and just gaslight everyone, you know? Right. Um, I feel like that really is something that I've been thinking a lot about, which is like um, this like perfectionism idea, right? Like I'm really, I feel like perfectionism is us trying to avoid making mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, as long as we don't make mistakes, we're good leaders. Um, But I think something that was really important that you said was um, it's not about the mistake itself, but rather like how you handled it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that takes vulnerability, but also that sucks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, it is tough again. Cause like, it, it's hard being a leader on top of all of your other duties. Like if you're a student or if you have a full-time job, if you're a brother, sister, daughter, son, literally anything, like it's dog mom, like literally anything, it really starts to add up. And to go one step further with the perfectionist comment, um, you know, you could be afraid of making mistakes or in the past, maybe you have been punished for not doing something perfectly, or you put so much pressure on yourself to be defined by your accomplishments that you feel like it is a testament to your self-worth when you mess up, especially publicly, because there's a whole humiliation factor. And, you know, there are just so many different facets to it. So I feel like if you want to go one step further in terms of perfectionism, it's like, where, where did that come from? Like, did it come from your childhood or the environment that you grew up in? But why are you afraid to mess up? And I ask myself that question a lot. Like, why are you afraid to not always be 110% all the time? Like, what are you trying to prove essentially? So mm-hmm. just breaking down all those little facets, good times. <laughs> right. This is just a therapy session. It's fine. <laughs> Again, going back to vulnerability, I'm an open book, ask me anything. Like, I think that we give these feelings that feel really heavy, less power when we speak them out loud and when we have collective healing and just like sharing. So thank you for listening. Yeah, of course. I love to hear it. Um, I mean, perfectionism, I can't believe we went there, but like, (laughs) I think it just, it just shows up in I think like honestly not even for women but also like for men you know like there are these like perfect images that both of both genders um both genders need to be um like to fit that perfect image and I think as women especially I don't know it's like a weird like woman have to be vulnerable but in like a very specific way um and then it's like if you're not like that kind of vulnerable uh where like you can't verbalize your feelings and you're just kind of like like feeling them and then you're like too emotional but like at the same time I think we're like shift it's weird because we're kind of shifting over um the narrative of like what a leader is like there's more talk about vulnerability um but I also feel like talking about it isn't the same thing as like feeling it I've really Mm -hmm. come to understand this um yeah and then that becomes like a weird like am I being vulnerable or am I not and then like (laughs) 
you know, like, is, is this really a vulnerability or is it just me pretending like I'm vulnerable so I can be that like perfect leader? Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. That, that was very nuanced, but I feel like there's like that topic nowadays. Yes, absolutely. There are so, I literally wrote down like three different things from what you were saying because it covers it covers so much. Like these are such multifaceted topics. Like you said, they're very nuanced and they're very like case by case, you know. Um, one thing I will say first and foremost is that I think that being a woman and being vulnerable and having all of these different arrays of emotions is beautiful. And I do think that that is strong, you know, as opposed to just like sticking to what strength is closed, like really closed off, like, you know, still speaking really loud and getting things done, but like not really experiencing all of your emotions. I think a willingness to experience your emotions and not judge yourself from it is beautiful. And I think that demonstrates strength. So that's one thing. Another thing is that I think that with women and perfectionism, also comes up like internalized misogyny right Mm -hmm. so when you put a woman in power some people are kind of looking like okay when is she gonna mess up oh they're really nitpicking they're like okay when is she gonna mess up she didn't wear makeup today must something must be off (laughs) or oh she came late today something must be off you know and whereas if a if a man came in late to practice or if he came in late and just like sweats and a t-shirt, everyone would be like, dang, this guy, he must have a lot going on. He must be really busy and we must be really honored to have him in this space right now because, you know, he, he's got a lot going on. But the woman has to show up and she has to have like all her hair done. She has to know all her counts, makeup, like she has to be presentable like a performance every single day. And there are people that are inherently in their minds, they don't even think about it. They're just nitpicking, waiting to see something come up, you know, just to see like a little crack in the armor. And that is really tough to deal with. And it goes back to vulnerability, like being able to sit down and be honest with your team and not feel like you're losing credibility is a lot. It's a lot. It's like, okay, I want to share what's going on, but at the same time, like, I don't want to diminish what everyone else is experiencing because it's cold. It's hell week. Like, you know, so it's, it's definitely a lot. It's very nuanced. And Again, maybe you don't have to be vulnerable with your entire team all at once in this big sobbing session, although I think that is awesome and great. Like, I welcome it. Anyone that wants to sit and cry in front of us, go off. Like, that is super, super strong. Thank you for sharing that. You could also just find people on your leadership that you feel like you can really confide in, and then they can step up and lead warm-ups, or they can step up and bring you a cookie before practice. You know, like, vulnerability doesn't have to be this one really big bold thing it can start in really small spaces like being vulnerable with yourself being vulnerable with your best friend being vulnerable with a significant other or a sibling or maybe even a parent and then being able to kind of make it feel less emotionally intense and that can still be vulnerability I can tell you about my bad day and not be crying to you you know me sharing about my bad day with my words can still be vulnerable and it doesn't have to be emotionally charged. So I think that we can kind of change the way that we see vulnerability, not as just this big dramatic explosion, you know, because there's also a stigma with that. I love that. Um, that (laughs) I love that because yeah, I do think like when we talk about vulnerability, it always sounds like something that's really big. And like, I think people, yeah, I think in the mind, like the image is just like, Oh, I'm crying in front of like, 15 people or whatever um but there's so many different 
different aspects of vulnerability um, for different people also too, right? Something that is tied to that is like Brene Brown recently, I just, I've been following her a lot, but like she recently Mm -hmm. released this thing that was like one of the greatest vulnerabilities in the world is to truly feel joy. Um, I do think that's really real. Like when you're feeling joy truly, or even when I'm feeling joy, it's sometimes it's like, oh shit, this is going to end. Like, (laughs) you know, like, or like, like that sense of guilt or like, oh, like, am I even allowed to be this happy? But it's like, if you let that go, like if you let those things go and just like be joyful, it's a, it's a very vulnerable act um, that we don't talk about ever. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I think that you're right. There is a certain vulnerability that comes with just being happy and indulging in that present moment or not even being happy, being joyful. Cause I know that there is like a difference in connotation and honestly words and emotions is such like a limited combination. We experience so many emotions that don't have words for them. For sure. um, and, and I love Renee Brown. Like I, I have read some of her work and she really does provide an eye-opening perspective on things like that. And you know what, at the end of the day, joy is also part of the human experience. You can't just like sit and wallow in all the quote negative emotions or the more dense emotions like you got to be able to experience all the all the light ones and all the all the carefree ones too you know it's part of the human experience and sometimes I had a choreographer say this once you have to break your heart open to let the love in even if that means breaking your heart open in like a really positive way going to a really joyful class like you have to open the door to let something in and you know it's going to be scary and hopefully it's a good experience or at least a learning experience. Mm-hmm. You, you should repeat that one more time because that really hits. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to break your heart open to let the love in. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Um, of all the healing, con- you know, those like conversations you have with people that just like heals your soul, mm-hmm. but like the initial the initial thing with those conversations for me is always like, oh, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I just had the wind knocked out of my chest. Like, whoa, like that was intense type of situation. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense where it's like, yes, my my heart might be breaking, but <laughs> had to break to let things in. So that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad that I'm glad that that was a connection for you, because also when we talk about holding space, what does that mean? Unfortunately, that has also become like a really big buzzword, kind of going back to like creating safe spaces in the community and for women specifically, like when you hold space for someone, you're literally just giving them a space, a non-judgmental space to share or not share whatever they want. You're literally holding space. And so for some people, you know, I'm just going to hold space for you. But like, I have to go in like 30 minutes because I have a phone call. Like, you know, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I would so much rather you just say like, you know, I don't have the capacity right now. I have about 30 minutes. So if you just want to share a little bit, like I'm here, but if not, I totally understand. Like, again, it goes back to like that honesty and that vulnerability. Like it doesn't help anyone if you're being dishonest, especially if you're being dishonest with yourself. So when you offer to hold space for someone or when you need someone to hold space for you, I think it's okay to be very explicit with what you need in that moment. It's like, Hey, I had a really rough day. I just need you to hold space for me. Like if you want, you can say kind words at the end, but I just need to vent 
you know, <laughs> do you have the capacity for that? I ask a lot of my friends, like, do you have the capacity for this conversation? Or even my boyfriend, like, do you have the capacity for me to vent right now? Because especially if you consider yourself an empath, it's really easy to just absorb those feelings. So the best thing that you can do before trying to hold space for someone else is to check in with yourself and be like, okay, can I actually be there for this person? Can I actually witness whatever they're experiencing in a non-judgmental way? Mm-hmm. Something that came to mind, which is, yeah, like you definitely to hold space for someone. And also, I guess like that's also related to like listening, right? You definitely have to check in with yourself first, like you said. Um, I've had instances and I think I understand where this is coming from, where people feel awkward in their own or people feel awkward because you're feeling bad. Like either, you know, they're trying to hold space for you and then you share something and we feel awkward when, you know, you're like our friend or partner or someone else that's sharing this is like going through it. Um, And the first instinct is like, one, I want to make you feel better. So I'm going to give you advice. And then two, (laughs) yeah. And then two, um, something else that I've, I've, I've been noticing in some certain conversations, it's like, I'm going to try and relate to you because I feel like crap now. Right. So, and the second one makes me feel worse because it's like, which I understand too, but it's like, listen, like you're holding space for me. And I understand that you might be feeling, you know, some type of way and that's normal, but it's like, if I shared something, maybe don't, maybe, maybe in the moment, depending on the context of course, but maybe not like, Oh yeah, I felt that way too. Like, (laughs) you know it's like respectfully I didn't ask (laughs) you know like I I totally understand (laughs) yeah um but I under like I totally understand where it comes from you know I think um maybe previously like we when we learned how to have conversations it was like try and relate to other people but I think more and more I think we're realizing like you don't have to relate to people sometimes you just have to be like I heard like I really heard you Yes. Um, but yeah, the first piece of that is harder to manage where it's like you're trying to give advice <laughs> mm-hmm. because it is coming from a place of like, you really care about this other person. You want them to stop feeling bad. So you try to give them advice, but sometimes they're not in that headspace to like receive it. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough to navigate those situations. Like it's, it's so difficult. Like, you have to ask yourself, like, what has this person been through? What do they need right now? But they're crying. And like, I I really just don't know. Some phrases that I have found to be really powerful, both when I say them and when I hear them is, you know, I acknowledge you for experiencing everything that you have experienced and your willingness to share. Um, Thank you for trusting me enough to share everything that you have. Um, I'm here for you, whatever you need. Like if, if you want me to just sit here, I'll sit here in silence with you as long as you need, um, you know, or if, or if you'd like me to step away or get someone else or get something else, like I I'm open to that as well, but just the statement I acknowledge is so powerful because it's better than saying like, I know you're going through a lot. (laughs) It's, it's literally saying like, I acknowledge that this was a really tough experience for you. I acknowledge that it was a, it was a bad day or I acknowledge that it was a rough experience. And just hearing that is it's nice or honestly even when people say I can't imagine what you're going through I can't imagine how that must have felt 
like admitting that you cannot relate could even be more powerful than relating even to the team. It could even be like, I can't even imagine what can I do for you? Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Like never thought about it that way. Um, you know, cause there's been just like within the research of like psychology a little bit, um, there's a guy named Paul Bloom and he's always like against empathy, right? Cause empathy is like, yeah, because empathy, the, the, the definition that he's using is like, you are feeling, you're trying to feel what the other person is feeling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, most of the time you don't, I mean, you like, you feel something, right? Something similar, but mm-hmm. you don't actually exactly know what they're going through. Um, especially if it's an experience that you absolutely would have no idea, right? So if it's like, I'm trying to talk to you, like a straight guy about like my woman problems like and they're like and they're like you know like imagine imagine the straight guy being like oh I I could like I feel what you're saying or like I can I can imagine that like no you really can't (laughs) (laughs) like you really can't um and I feel like in those moments and especially like that it's like I would rather prefer if you're like yeah I can't imagine what you're going through you know Yes, exactly. And I appreciate you bringing that up because identity and life experiences are an entire other lens in which that person sees the world and in which that person feels their experiences. You know, like it's, there are just so many different nuances to it. Like don't respectfully, don't even try to think that you know what's going on in someone else's life. Like Justine, I know less than 2% of your life (laughs) truly. And I will admit that. And I'm willing to get to know you more, but even my sisters, the girls that I've spent, you know, 18 plus years with living in the same house, we don't have that big of an age difference, but like, I definitely don't know everything about their lives. And whenever I interact with them or I interact with anyone else, I do my best to remove the image that I had of them from which I saw them last. And I do my best to witness them in this very moment. I don't, I, I, I don't try to bring in anything unnecessary into the conversation. Like I have a general, I have a general understanding of who you are and why we're friends or what kind of relationship we have. And I'm willing to witness you in this moment with whatever you're experiencing. And I feel like, especially graduating from college, that has been, super awesome amongst like my friends and even my sisters as they go off to college you know so I feel like that kind of mindset is so hard at least personally for me like I that's amazing that you're able to do that because a lot of people you know kind of keep their images of other people like trapped in the time of when they last saw them Mm mm-hmm I yes, <laughs> I think I do it because I, I really don't like it when other people do it to me. Like when people ask me like, oh, Victoria, hey, like, I don't know. Oh, Victoria, hey, how's 909? And I love 909. And I, you know, 909 was so much of my life for a long period of time. Just because the last time you saw me was when I was directing 909 doesn't mean that it's still as big of a part of my life as it is now. You know, I have so many, I have grown so much as a dancer, so much as a woman navigating post-grad life in the pandemic, managing two jobs, trying to do this dance thing and make time for my personal relationships, my family, my romantic relationships. Like I would respectfully ask, I would respectfully like if you just ask like, hey, how are you doing? Like, what's new with you? Like, how, how have you been? You know, because I hate when people put me in a box and that's a whole other conversation. 
So I, that's why I do my best to just like see this person for what they bring to the table right now in this very moment. That is so hard to do. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, I understand. That is so hard to do, but I think it's really necessary, you know, because you're, you're really right. Um, it reminds me of this person, um, Alok. I don't know if you follow them, um, but they write about how they're non-binary and um, they always say that like, it's like you're trying to define water like water becomes rivers or lakes or streams and you can't ever really encapture what water is besides that it's water. I love that. That is awesome. Wow. Yeah, Thank definitely follow them that. because they're <laughs> very like they're they have such a way with their words. Um but I think just like what you're saying is like you're meeting people where the shape of their water is taking at the moment and I think that's like that's so amazing that you're really it's so amazing that you're able to do that because I I know it to be true but like um I do think there's some amount of like limitation in our minds where it's like it helps me navigate you know the world that I live in like like I will I will need to know that this is a microphone and like this is a computer Mm -hmm. and that these are two different things um but like a microphone is a microphone forever <laughs> unless I take it apart and make it something else like a microphone and a computer are going to be those things but a human um really as we grow like we grow and change so much rather than like the microphone staying as a microphone anyways yes absolutely I'm gonna hop on that real quick and then if we want to move on we can move on um but think of it from a human perspective just seeing you are going through a lot I don't actually know exactly what's going on in your life but I just know you are going through a lot as humans do what makes you think that someone else isn't going through a lot and didn't have like so many experiences that just kind of added up to how they are right now in this moment and then when you ask them oh yeah how are you doing the automatic response is I'm good how are you how do you, how do you break that? You know? So it's like, it's, it's really just like sitting down and seeing that person for what they're experiencing in this moment. Like, I just can't stress that enough. Like even when we started this podcast, I was in a much different headspace than I am in right now, just by you and I conversing and like witnessing each other and being able to open up. And also if you have an expansive understanding of how complex you are as a person and you're willing to open up yourself to the idea that other people are entire universes of themselves you'd be surprised at how many barriers you can break just by just by witnessing them holding space listening to their experiences and understanding that we're all more alike than we are different absolutely I guess just like moving forward what do you want to be doing? How do you want to be creating more safe spaces for women? Yeah. That's a tough question. And that is especially a tough question because what being a woman is, is different to everyone, especially Mm -hmm. to non-binary folk that are still navigating what masculine and feminine energies are, because at the end of the day, they are just like, energies you know like a certain piece or a certain song can have like soft feminine really smooth energy and then some pieces or songs can have really masculine I don't want to say like abrasive but just really forward attributes to it and so in terms of creating spaces for 
women, I personally think it's more just about exploring what femininity is and how it feels or not even just what femininity is, but maybe your relationship with masculinity and femininity, you know, because there is a lot of push and pull, push and pull. Each day is different. Um, Certain certain settings evoke certain things from us and certain settings evoke more defensive things from us. And so one of the reasons why I love being part of all women's spaces is because I feel more open to dress a certain way or to wear my hair down, to wear more makeup, to wear less makeup. Like those settings, I feel more safe to explore what being feminine is to me. Whereas if I'm in spaces where, you know, maybe they're all guys and we're learning a really intense, like screaming rap set in order for me to feel safe, I have to wear baggy clothes and I have to wear like my chunky air force ones, no makeup and maybe a hat just so then I feel like I fit in, you know? So I feel like what I would love to create, and there's no timeline on this, but what I would love to create is just a space to explore our relationship between masculine and feminine energies through dance, which again, looks different to everyone. And my goal would essentially be to just offer tools or different perspectives, maybe reflective prompts and some movement therapy to kind of understand what that means for that individual person. I'm not here to preach. This is what a woman is. Wear high heels, booty shorts, and makeup. Although that is awesome. Love, love a moment like that. Those are great. And if being a woman is just like, you know, being in sweatpants, like a bun, a baggy t-shirt, and really just feeling your emotions in the dark to like a SZA song. Beautiful. Love it. No one has to see that. Because I think another thing that people kind of take hand in hand with femininity is that it needs to be super out there and super bold. When really you exploring like your femininity, again, starting small goes back to vulnerability. If you want to just like be in your room, either doing your makeup or not doing your makeup or just like sitting and breathing and figuring out and just meditating on what femininity is to you and your relationship with it that can also be super fruitful. And then eventually you can start to share that with the world and on your own time. There's, there's no rush. So I hope that answers your question. And it's a very skeletal outline, but I think that there's a lot, it, it's so dynamic and there are so many different parts and perspectives to it that I, as a student, I'm just trying to be in more all women's spaces to see how I feel, what I liked about those experiences and what I wish I saw more of, you know? I have this thought that's forming, um, but I'm not sure. I'm just going to say, and if I, if it doesn't make any sense, I'm just going to cut it out. Got it. Um, I, I don't know if this is just like a spiritual thing that I've been thinking about recently, um, but it's like music. Okay. There's just been I- this idea. That's like, there's this thing that exists. That's like music, right? Like, where where does that come from like nobody knows right like really like genuinely speaking same thing with like the feet like when uh i've had this conversation with carlo but like the the feeling of groove like that those things exist um as energies or whatever and i feel like even though they exist right so like music in the physical world it exists in so many different ways like a violin um edm synthesizers whatever 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 right like people who rap people who sing like um right like there's this 
thing there that's physically represented by many different things in the physical world. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me, I, this is just the thing I've been thinking about. Like, I do feel like feminine and masculine, like those things exist as energies. Um, and we've like limited the definition of them, but theoretically humans are also just like instruments for those things to be channeled. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've just been thinking about that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I think that that is a great end of a spectrum. Let's contrast that with the other end of the spectrum, right? Sometimes transgender folks are not seen. Like sometimes people are just like against transgender folks because right. they are diminishing people to their body parts. They're literally diminishing. If you have a penis or if you have a vagina, that is your identity, you know? So that's the other end of the spectrum. It's like, we are diminishing people to what we understand, what we put in a box in this physical realm to help us grasp it, to help us create systems around it or systems to suppress it, you know? So that's why I love that you shared how masculine and feminine energies do exist. And we as humans embody it in different ways because we are also very fluid because it helps us kind of deconstruct and decolonize like what we think masculine and feminine is. It's not just about bathrooms, y'all. Like it really right. is just about so many, so many different parts of who we are. And it shows up in our relationships. It shows up in how we dress. It shows up in, you know, what cars we choose to drive or what music we listen to, like so many different things. And I feel like people don't talk about it enough because again, we, we like to, we like to put things in boxes. It helps us understand and there's, there's no harm in that. It's just a matter of every once in a while breaking out of the box and see that it was never a box to begin with. Right. Yeah. I mean, relating, <clears throat> relating the, the thing with the music and the thing, I just like, <laughs> cause I was just thinking about it where it's like, not, not the same thing, but like in an analogy form, like that's like me saying that the music that a violin plays isn't music or like a viola isn't a viola because there's violins, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) like not the same thing, but it just, it just feels a little bit like, why are we, you know, out here deeming like what music is and isn't. Um, And maybe if a violin could talk, it could be like, I'm fucking music. Like, I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's, I don't know. That's just like been on the, in the back of my head because I'm just like, like whoa people do know their gender identities like like when they're young and Mm -hmm. that must that must be coming from something Mm -hmm. you know anyways I'm done (laughs) (laughs) um I don't I honestly don't know if I'm gonna leave any of that in there because that was just like a weird like whoa totally fine I appreciate you sharing regardless okay um rapid fire questions and then we'll close this out Oh, I was having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, could have went on forever, but honestly, it's a late night or you know, daylight savings just ended, y'all. Like it's late. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is a song that you've been feeling currently? Silk Sonic just dropped their album. So Fly is me. That one. Fly is me. I'm gonna go listen to that right after this. Okay. <laughs> um a most recent show re, whoa a most recent show that you've watched and really enjoyed 
So I don't watch too many shows, but Will Smith does have like a YouTube docu-series called Best Shape of My Life. And that one was super awesome. Like fitness is also a huge part of my life. So watching him go through that entire experience, it's not what you think. So I highly recommend it. I will watch that because that sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, something that happened today that brought you joy. <sighs> this morning, I woke up to my parents painting the living room and they were playing 80s music and singing like there was no one else home. And that that brought me a lot of joy this morning. That is a very cute imagery you just painted in my head. Um, <laughs> One thing that you appreciate about yourself? My willingness to see the good in others. Yes. A quote or affirmation that really resonates with you? This is my favorite go-to affirmation. It's a few parts, but it is, I am a lighthouse. I accept my power and let it radiate from the inside out. Turbulent seas will not keep me from being a beacon of light for the world. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. You so We're much. amazing. <laughs> I really like listening back to this conversation. I'm like, wow, Victoria really has such great insights and everything she said just like really resonated with my heart and soul. So thank you so much for this conversation with me, Victoria. And as I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, I am going to be taking a break and just trying to see where I want to take this podcast, if I want to keep the same structure, if I want to switch it up. Um, Yeah, it's just been a lot to keep up with. And I hope that once I take this break, I'll be re-inspired to continue this podcast. So thanks to everyone who has supported me through all of this time. I really appreciate it and have a good 2022.